Thank you for the warm welcome. Um, you know, I, I, I'm going to kick it right back. Someone mentioned Southside Rabbi earlier. And uh, there's this thing in scripture called giving honor or credit where honor is due. And I want to take a moment as I adjust this stand to a, a reasonable height for, for our, our talking time. You, you guys can hear me okay, right? I can hold this too. If that's, if that, okay. um, but I want to give honor to the shepherd of this house, um, Josh. I, in, in the times that we've talked, especially over the last month, as we've started to talk and prepare for today, I am picking up that this is a man who cares deeply about each of your souls and about each of you experiencing the presence and power and reality of who God is in your everyday lives. Like, that's something that I've been picking up. Um, I just want to honor him because he's, he is spending that time with the Lord. He, him and his family are, are putting in the hours to build their own intimacy with Jesus and it is deeply longing for you guys to experience. And, and that, that's just something beautiful to have as a pastor, as your own pastor. Um, so just want to honor Josh in that. Cool. So like you said, I, I, um, I, I come from the well, serve as an elder there. I'm here with my wife and my son, uh, Judah, who, who's been running up here and stuff like that. You might see him at the church. And just super excited and honored to spend some time with y'all in God's word. Um, and so much of what Josh said um, is true that I deeply desire us to be encouraged by God's word this morning. Um, I want us to be challenged by God's word, um, but I do want us to be encouraged, and I want us to see Jesus in the beautiful light that he deserves to be seen in. Amen? Cool. So I know that y'all have been um, in a series uh, exploring the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And so that is still the setting that we are in. And so if you can uh, put your uh, biblical imaginative glasses on that Jesus is slightly up a mountain and he's addressing a crowd of people and we're getting near the end of his sermon. Um, and I know that over the past few weeks that you guys have uh, been exploring what Jesus is, is, this picture of a kingdom and a person in this kingdom and how uh, Jesus is saying, I want my people to be like this. I want them to be salt and light. I want them uh, to have a righteousness that does not come from external actions like the Pharisees, but I want my people, my kingdom, to have a righteousness that comes from uh, an internal presence and power and connection to the source, Jesus himself. Jesus perfectly communicates his vision. Um, then he also goes on to break down, you know, the Ten Commandments and, and, and kind of um, how he's using the Ten Commandments and, and some of the old laws that the Jewish readers would have been familiar with to reveal the actual condition of their hearts. Y'all tracking with that? And he reveals the condition of his heart. And this is, this is good news because he also, in those same commandments and the same reiterating of the law, he says that I have not come to abolish the law, but I've actually come to fulfill the law. That's good news. Yeah. And then Jesus' frame of comparison for a lot of his conversations and a, a lot of the examples in his Sermon on the Mount so far has been uh, a contrast of the, the Pharisees, the religious elite of that day, in the sense that he is saying that uh, these religious leaders 
are making these big and grand displays of external righteousness, their, their loud prayers, uh, their, their very loud and vocal ways of giving, their very prominent and, and in-your-face ways of, of letting you know that they're fasting, that these are the people he is con- contrasting the idea of external righteousness and internal righteousness. Um, that they were doing these things for selfish gain. And so now we're coming to the tail end or, or the back half of what Jesus has been preaching, and he is trying to help his listeners understand the main thrust of a lot of what he's saying. And, and like most preachers, um, he's using some pictures or images or examples to help drive home this central theme. And that's where we find ourselves today. We find ourselves in Matthew chapter 7, and Jesus is painting a picture to help his listeners drive home this point. And so I'm going to read that. If you guys read along with me, this is the image that Jesus is giving to his listeners. I'm starting in chapter 7, verse 24. I don't know if it's y'all's custom to stand. Do y'all want to stand? I don't Do y'all want to stand? Yeah, stand. Let's stand. Let's stand. <clears throat> and it reads like this. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Thanks be to God. Oh, this is the word of the Lord. That's it, that's it. <laughs> you guys, you guys knew what, you guys knew, I know. I jumped the gun. I said thanks be to God. Thanks be to God for his word. And so, like I was saying, this is... This is a picture of, uh, or an image, an example of the point that Jesus is trying to drive home. This is actually coming on the tail end of uh, three other, one, two, three, four, three other examples of the point that Jesus is trying to drive home. Just before this, uh, just in the previous verses to this, uh, Jesus gives this picture of the person who says, um, who, who has been doing a lot of works or religious righteous types of acts in his name, just in the preceding verses that um, he says that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my father is in heaven. And on that day, many will say, Lord, did we not cast out demons in your name? Or did we not prophesy in your name and do mighty works in your name? And I, Jesus is saying, I would declare to them, depart from me for I never knew you. That's another example of some of the main points that Jesus is trying to drive home is this idea of uh, intimacy, this idea of connectedness, this idea that if you are doing these religious acts apart from me, it is for nothing. That, that word there for new that Jesus is using there is, is, is gnosko. It's a, it's a very intimate type of knowing. And so on the heels of that example, Jesus gives his people another example to drive home the point. And I will be honest with you. I have been wrestling this week. I've been 
tossing and turning. I've been waking up early and going to bed late, trying to figure out what is the point that Jesus is making. What is the point? Because obviously he's giving all these examples to drive home a point. And so it is important for us to capture the essence of what Jesus' sermon is about. Someone say, what's the point? I will tell you. So based on what Jesus is saying, there, there, there's a few things that we can observe in this text. There's people who are listening and doing. The person who listens and does what Jesus says is going to be wise. The person who listens and doesn't do what Jesus says is, is, is not wise. They're a fool. And when the storm comes, their house is going to crumble. Their house is going to crumble. It seems that Jesus is making a point that the doing should be examined. That the doing should be examined. That the Pharisees at the time, they were doing a lot, right? They were doing a lot. They were, they were giving to the poor. They were fasting. They were making these loud, elaborate prayer, prayers. So they, they were doing, work, but, but Jesus said the people who hear and do are the ones that are going to survive at the end, right? But it, it, to me, I was confused this week as I was thinking about this because it seems like the Pharisees were, were, they were doing a lot. I, w- I would think that based on all that Jesus was saying over the past weeks that the Pharisees were doing stuff. But obviously, because we know that he's contrasting against the Pharisees, they weren't doing the right stuff. Are y'all tracking with that? And so Jesus is clearly not making the point to, to just do stuff. Just doing stuff is, 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 is not the main thrust of what he's saying. That, that just following the commandments or, or, or just not divorcing or, or just not lusting is, is not the point of what he's saying. It's not simply just, just doing something and following the law as a means of proving your righteousness. Jesus makes it clear that simply doing the right thing is not the point of what he's saying at large, but the core of what he's saying and addressing is the heart, the eternal state of his followers being, the, the, the core of your soul, so to speak. So, so what, is at, what is at the core of your beliefs? What is at the core of your beliefs that is, is driving your actions? Are you being driven by a motivation of self-righteousness like the Pharisees? Or are you being driven by a motivation that does not come from self? And so I'm asking my, myself these questions. Uh, and so I'm, I'm realizing that Jesus seems to be getting at something different because hearing and doing does not just mean go and do righteous things. So he can't just be talking about that. It seems like he's saying that hearing and doing is going to reveal something on the inside. Are y'all tracking with me? So as we consider this, this, this uh, illustration that Jesus is doing, I think that we are being called as a people who are listening to this word, just like the people who were listening to Jesus' original words, we're called to examine the makeup of our lives. We're called to examine the root 
of our motivations. We're called to examine the core of what drives us, the, 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 the inside stuff, the heart stuff. Are y'all tracking with that? That the picture of the house and the foundations that, we're, that we've just read about is really an invitation to look deeply at what your righteousness is built on. Is your righteousness built on your own actions or is it built on something else? My thesis for today is simply this, that obedience built on the sand of self-righteousness will not stand. I think that the implicit call of Jesus is to examine what our righteousness is built on. So let's explore this story together, knowing that the obedience built on self-righteousness will not stand. <clears throat> so in, in this story, we have two men. Um, that's my first observation. We have two men. I think that this is more than just a story addressing two men. Um, but for Jesus' example, he says men. We have two men, and they build a house. Each of them build a house. And I think that these houses are identical. They probably look the same. They probably both have a nice island, a kitchen island on the inside. I would imagine in the architecture of that day, and, or maybe in our day, you know, we'd probably imagine a house that has a nice farm sink, you know, that has three beds, two baths, maybe two and a half baths so that your guests can come over and use that. Um, but the, the, the point of it is that these houses are the same. On the outside, these houses look the same. Um, Similar, the, the, the point that Jesus was making before is that there's a lot of things that on the outside can, can look okay. That you would look at the life of a Pharisee and, and think, giving to the poor is, is good. Praying, praying is good on the outside, right? Yeah. But it's, at the, it's the inside that counts. That looking at the outside of this house, you would not know that the foundation on the inside is shaky. That looking at the outside of this, this hypothetical house that Jesus is painting, you wouldn't know that there's, that the house would crumble when something comes to test it. But I believe the point that Jesus is making here is that God is more concerned with the matters of the heart than the outward displays of righteousness. He is more concerned with the stuff that makes up the core than the stuff that's on the outside. And I've seen this pattern in Scripture. I, I started to, to try to understand more of what Jesus was saying by reading more Scripture and, and trying to get a, uh, an essence of what he's trying to communicate. And I begin to think about David, that in the period when David was being established as the king of, of Israel, just before he was anointed, uh, God sent a prophet, Samuel, to Bethlehem, to his father, uh, Jesse's house. And God tells Samuel, I'm going to send you here to anoint the next king of Israel. Um, but God tells Samuel something very peculiar. He says, I'm going to tell you exactly when you're going to see him or, when, when, when you, or who you're going to anoint. Because the, the, the common theme in that day was that you were going to anoint the, the tallest, the most fit, the person who on the outside looked the most kingly. 
the king right before David was the tallest guy in the group. He was, a, he was head and shoulders above everyone else. It would, it would have seemed that he on the outside was the king who had the stuff. But God tells Samuel, he says, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And, and, he, and, and later we find out that, that David was a man who was after God's own heart, that he had this intimate connection to God, that he was a shepherd, that he was in the fields playing and worshiping and connecting with the Lord. And God even says in, about David that um, it says that, uh, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will do all of my will. And so we begin to see that this idea of doing the will of God is connected to knowing God. Are y'all tracking with that? That God says that you might look on the outside and and, and see someone who doesn't look like a king, that doesn't look like what you would expect, but I see the inside and it is what I want. He is after my heart. Josh and Jesus, Josh and Jesus, (laughs) have been making this point over the past weeks that the appearance of religiousness, the appearance of righteousness is not enough. It may be enough to earn the approval of your peers. It may be enough to even trick yourself into approving your own actions. But it's, it's not enough. It may, it may be enough to be seen as righteous in your own eyes, but it's not enough. And so I think what is clear in here is that Jesus is beginning to make the point that outward appearance is not enough for the kingdom of God, that the facade of holiness is not enough, that the facade of fulfilling the law is not enough. That if you rest your righteousness on your own self-righteous actions, that it's going to be like building a house on a foundation of sand. Let's let's think about these two foundations, the foundation of self-righteousness versus the foundation of righteousness that exists outside of yourself. There is this idea in the Old Testament about a rock, um, that there's, there's... Throughout the, the, the halls of history, of biblical history, that um, the rock will stand in the test of storm, or that there's also this idea that the, the, the unrighteous are going to be swept away if a storm comes, etc. And so I think that when Jesus begins to introduce these ideas of the firm foundation of a rock and the unfirm foundation of sinking sand that he's calling on some of these old ideas. Like, for example, in Proverbs 10.29, it says that the way of the Lord is a stronghold to the blameless, but destruction to evildoers. Or in Proverbs 10.25, it says that when the tempest passes, the wicked is no more, but the righteous is established forever. In Proverbs 14, 11 through 12, it says that the house of the wicked will be destroyed, 
but the tent of the upright will flourish. And there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, this way leads to death. And so in thinking about this firm foundation rock and, and, and this, this sand, that if, 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 if these men are building on these two different things, that there's a storm that's going to come and to begin to expose it. It makes me think of, um, I don't know if y'all ever seen this show on Netflix called uh, Is It Cake? <laughs> a lot of people have seen it. I'm surprised. But anyways, this, in, in, in this show on Netflix called Is It Cake, essentially there's these bakers who are really good at baking. Um, they're really good at taking all these materials, butter, egg, flowers, water, milk, etc., and making, they, they could probably make a cake that looks like this computer. That to the eye, it would look as though it was a MacBook. But once the judges come in, or, or whoever is looking at it, comes in with a knife, and they cut through it, they test to see if it is a cake. Is this a, is this a MacBook that's real, or, or, or is it simply cake? And, and I think that the point that Jesus is making is that there, there's going to be things that come. There's going to be storm. There's going to be a storm. There's going to be wind. There's going to be rain that's going to come and expose, that's going to cut into the fake cake and say if it's cake or not. Are y'all tracking with that? Um, and so, again, the, the thrust of what Jesus is saying is that the outside could look good. The outside could look the same. But the inside, is it cake? The inside, what, what, what is it built on? Is it, is it a rock foundation or is it a sand foundation? The rock foundation is a righteousness that is not of yourself. The sand foundation is a self righteousness like the Pharisees have? I think that's enough context. Um, <laughs> these, were, these were the questions and ideas and thoughts that I've been thinking through this week as I've been thinking about this text, because if I'm, if I'm being honest with you, a, a, lot of, a lot of the Sermon on the Mount scares me. It, 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 it terrifies me, because it's, I feel like in our Western society, at least, I don't know if y'all grew up in the church, but I grew up in the church. And I've learned in my life, I'm the son of a preacher, I've, I've learned how to do church well. I've learned how to pray. I know how to pray. I've, I've learned how to play instruments. I've learned how to lead worship. I've learned how to give, how to sing, how to use and say the right things at the right time that would show that I belong to the household of faith. And what, 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 what's scary about a text like this, and what, what's scary about what Jesus is saying is that on the outside, it can all look good. But what's going on on the inside? And, and, and the confusing thing for me, or the, the scary thing about a text like this, is that it forces the listener to self-examine. And to ask the question, is my faith established on solid rock? Or is my faith established on sand? Is my faith established on my self-righteous works? Or is my faith established on righteousness that does not belong to me? 
Is my faith established on the fact that I go to community group? Is my faith established on the fact that I read my Bible 20 times a week? Is my faith established on the fact that I, I serve my community? And therefore, I feel righteous because of these things. Or is my faith established on the solid rock? Are you all tracking with that? And so as, I, as, I'm, as I'm listening, I've been following along with y'all's sermon series for weeks. And as I'm reading, I'm, I'm afraid because it's part of, part of me, part of my story is that I, I've come up in the church. And that there, there's been times where I don't really feel like I've been following the Lord that closely. And, I, and, and that's been my story. I, I just, I've shown up. And that has been my faith. Like, I, I, I've shown up to CG or I've shown up to church or I'm, I'm playing in a worship band and I'm not necessarily connected, but I'm there. So, so what, what, what does that mean for me? Am, am I a fool? Am I a fool for following Jesus in this way? Am I like the Pharisee? Am I, am I the Pharisee in Jesus' example? And these are, these are hard questions to think about. These are hard, those hard questions for me to think about. And, and I begin to remind myself of who it is that's speaking. And I begin to ask the question, Jesus, what are you trying to say? What are you trying, where is the hope in this? Because I, I'm condemning myself. I feel like this scripture is reading all the parts of me that I wouldn't want read, that on the outside, I, I, I know that things look good, but I'm beginning to question it. what my foundation is. Is my foundation my self-righteousness? And I'm asking the question, where is, where is the hope? Luckily, I, I had more time than you had this morning to kind of begin to think about that question. And I began to search the scriptures and I began to really try to ask the Holy Spirit to point me in the direction of where the hope in what Jesus is saying is. Because I think that if you, if you read this text and you have doubts about if, if your faith is established on self-righteousness or on a righteousness that is outside of yourself, you, you'll kind of be hopeless. Because the text is clear that there's going to be a storm that's going to come, that's going to test your faith. There's going to be a knife that comes in to test if it's, if it's cake or if it's real. And without hope that it's real, without uh, a solid belief that it's real, you're just kind of left wondering. So where is the hope? And so I began to search the scripture and and, and, and ask the Holy Spirit to help me to understand what Jesus is pointing to. And then as I'm searching the scripture, I, I began to see this, this theme of God is my rock, or God is my refuge, or God is my salvation. In the Old Testament, we see that this idea of a, a rock it, it kind of grows throughout history that in the Old Testament, salvation refers both to everyday regular types of deliverance, like the deliverance from enemies or disease or danger, 
and to those major deliverances that they are specifically interpreted as being a definite part of God's unique and special involvement in human history. Salvation. So if you're tracking with that, like salvation, deliverance from danger, deliverance from disease, etc. But this, this idea of salvation or, or, or God as a, my rock of my salvation begins to grow throughout history. For instance, when, when, when Hannah prays, Hannah is a character in the Old Testament, not a character, she was a person in the Old Testament, um, who was experiencing barrenness, like she was, she was hoping for a child. Um, the Lord hears her prayer, responds to her, and she says that, I rejoice in your salvation. There is no rock like our God. That's in the story of 1 Samuel uh, chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. So re- she rejoices over God's deliverance and calls God, the rock of her salvation, because he delivered her from her barrenness. David, a lot of the times in the Psalms, refers to God as his his rock or his place of refuge, his place of strength. In Psalm 62, verse 1 and 2, in verse 6 and 7, it says, For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress, and I shall not greatly be shaken. He says, he only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress, I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. He is my mighty rock. He is my refuge, my God. Are y'all tracking with me so far? This idea of the rock grown throughout history. Um, In Psalms 118, It says, I thank you that you have answered me and that you have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And so now this idea of the rock of our salvation is something that is familiar or or, uh, at least partly familiar to the Jewish listener. And I think that Jesus is, is beginning to bring this type of imagery to the mind of his listeners. That his listeners might be worried like I am, that I might have a, a faith built on my own self-righteousness, on the own activities that I'm doing that would display my religiosity to the world. But now Jesus is saying, don't do that. Let Let it be real. Don't let it be cake. And have hope because there is a rock that you can build your house on. And in this rock, on this rock is safety. On this rock is salvation. On this rock is deliverance. On this rock is safety. On this rock is deliverance. I think the good news here is that on our own, our self-righteous acts are nothing. That on our own, our self-righteous acts 
are like building a house on a place of sand and it's going to crumble. But the good news of the gospel, sorry, there's a fly there. <laughs> the good news of the gospel is that we can find our faith on the rock of salvation. And this rock is Jesus. This rock is Jesus. This rock is Jesus. I, I know that this is true. It sounds ethereal. But later on in, 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 the, in, in the biblical story, as Peter is giving multiple, multiple of his sermons to different people at different times. One is recorded in the book of Acts. But also in the, in the book of First Peter, it says that... Sorry. <clears throat> says that as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you, you yourselves are like living stone, like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood and to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And so what, what, what we get to in the gospel is that you, for the person who has placed their faith in Christ, are actually being built up as a spiritual house. That for the person who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ, that you are, are being built up into a holy priesthood. And that you, as a person who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ, are able to now offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And so the hope that I'm looking for in this text, the hope that I'm looking for is actually mine in the gospel, that the, the hope that I would have to not have self-righteousness based on myself is in Jesus, that the hope that I would have to not be cake, to, to, to stand the test of time, actually comes through the gospel. That in the gospel, I'm actually going to be built up as a spiritual house, that I am not a dead stone, but a living stone in Christ. And so then, if there, if there is hope for the believer, if there is over here on this side, the, the call of Jesus to examine yourself and, 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 and to see the stock of who you are, what then is, is the call to us? I think what, what, what then is the, the point of this or, or how can we apply this to our lives today? And so I began to ask some more questions of this as I'm studying and um, I, I began to take a, what I call a liturgical audit. Liturgy is just a, a word for, a different word for worship. And so I began to ask, how, how are the, the patterns of life that I'm living or, or the ways of worship or the ways that I'm worshiping either causing me to build a house on, on my own righteousness or causing me to continue to build on the righteousness of Jesus. And what, what do I mean by that? Is, is my, knowing that I have the hope of Christ, 
I don't have to be afraid of, 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 of some, some impending doom. Do I still desire to be seen as super spiritual? Is, is my desire to lift my hands in worship a desire to be seen as someone who is close and connected to God? Or is it a response to the gospel that is alive and inside of me? Is, is my desire to pull out my Bible and, and, and study in public or in a coffee shop or something like that, is my desire to wear Christian paraphernalia, a desire to show my external righteousness? Or is that a response to the knowledge that God is the rock of my salvation? Is my desire to say the right Christian phrases or to pray the right things or to know the Christian song, is that, is that coming from a place of wanting to show you and you and you that I am a, a believer in Jesus? Or are all those things a response to the righteousness that is mine in Christ? Yeah. And, I, I, and I think that the temptation for us, the, the reason why a scripture like this is so important to behold is because I think we, we live in a society nowadays that is very similar to that of the Pharisee and the people who are listening to Jesus' words. Especially us in, in, in the physical South of America, that Christianity is a kind of laced in in some ways to our culture. In a lot of ways, that standing in worship and, and putting your hands up in worship—that's that's part of our culture. That it's it's okay to do those things. It's it's actually welcomed. You're encouraged to do those things. And the dangerous part of that is that you might find yourself over time without doing this liturgical audit over time of yourself, that you are no longer doing things connected to the person of Jesus, the rock of our salvation, but you're doing things is just a pattern of your own self-righteous fulfillment. Is my religiosity a result of connection to God or is it the product of my environment? Is, is my attending group, is my attending church a result of a vibrant, deep connection to God himself, or is it a result of my community, my circumstance, my patterns of life? Is my religious existence based on my own effort, or is it based on the efforts of Christ? I think I think that Jesus is, as he's rounding out his Sermon on the Mount, begins to give us these pictures, these examples, as an invitation for us to examine our own lives. A picture, an opportunity for us to examine all that he has said, all that Josh has preached about in the past weeks, and to see which side of the fence are we falling on. An invitation to examine our lives and to see, is it cake? Is it real? Is, 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 what, is this God that Jesus is talking about being connected to? Am I connected to him? Because I think, I think the good news is that he, he wants to connect with you. The good news is that he, he, 
He already made a way for you to connect with him. The good news is that Jesus, before he came to earth, he was in heaven. And he made the far distance to take on human flesh, to live a life, to preach to these people in order that you can have actual connection to the Father. That he then took it a step further and he said, I'm going to send my spirit to live inside of you. That connection to the rock, that building your faith on the rock is possible because my spirit now communes with you. And so with that as context, it would be foolish not to build your righteousness, not to have that as a foundation of your righteousness, right? Do do you see how that's unwise? That that, that the wisdom here is, is not simply just doing, but the wisdom here is being connected to God. That the wisdom here that Jesus is saying is, The Pharisees, they were already doing stuff. They were already doing stuff. But hearing and doing, as Jesus is describing, as he's been making the point, hearing and doing is being connected to him, knowing that the righteousness does not come from yourself, but it comes from him. That intimacy with him, that connectedness with him, that living your religious and, and, and faith life as a result of being connected to him is the point. That is the point. Are you all tracking with that? And so to myself, like, I'm an Enneagram 3, and so I want to be the best. This week I've had to remind myself that the doing is not the point. That's not the point that Jesus is making with this story. The point is is gnosko, that that knowing, that I would not want to ever find myself in a place where I'm doing works in the name of the Lord, that I'm leading a Bible study or I'm reading my own Bible or I'm talking to somebody about uh, an evangelistic conversation, but I'm missing the intimate knowing that is available to me in Jesus, that my faith would be built on the rock of my salvation, that when the storm comes, it won't shake me. In this reminds me, in, in 20, I don't know, 2021, 2020, something like that, uh, we found ourselves as a, as a church uh, facing a lot of um, difficult things, a lot of hard conversations that we were having. Um, and my wife and I, we, we were meeting with a lot of people who had been kind of in cultural Christianity, who had been a part of the church for a while. And a lot of the things that were going on in our world at that time shook them. And it caused them to question their very belief in God. And the thing that was so disappointing in that time and in that season was that through walking in those conversations with these people, I mean, the the term that was popular at the time was deconstruction. As they were deconstructing their faith, what we learned through those conversations is that their faith was not actually a faith, but just a lifestyle. That they had built their idea of following God on the idea of going to church, being friends with people, um, singing songs, but they did not 
tap into the power that was available to them in the person and spirit of Jesus Christ. And so when these tumultuous events started coming and really started to challenge those beliefs, they found themselves, whoa, what, 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 what really do I believe? When, when those things came in that they couldn't meet as a church anymore, it was COVID, when, when, when it wasn't possible to gather with your friends, when it wasn't possible to sing songs in community, they found themselves lacking because their faith was not built on connection to Jesus rather than connection to people or connection to these displays of self-righteousness. I don't say that to be uh, melancholy, but I say that to say what Jesus is saying here is that in the end, if your faith is not connected to me, if, if your acts of religiosity are not connected to me, it will crumble. Let Jesus be your foundation. I know that in, in the past weeks that you guys have been taking some time at the end of your uh, worship in the Word, or your, your preaching times, to reflect or to contemplate on the Word of God. And so I, I want to kind of set us a space to think about some of these ideas. <clears throat> and, and, and I want us to pray something very specific. Uh, I mentioned earlier that Jesus has given us his spirit as a means by which we connect with the Father. And so I, I, I would pray that you would, in the spirit of taking a, a liturgical audit of yourself, that you would pray to the Holy Spirit and he would, that he would bring things to your mind, that he would uh, bring these potential activities that you participate in um, that you might be doing as just a, uh, a pattern that you're just participating in. Um, and, and my hope with that, that my hope that the, is that the Holy Spirit will bring ideas to your mind um, and that you will be able to connect the activities of your faith to the person and work of Jesus, that when you come here to worship, that you would come here to worship because you are connected to the rock of your salvation, that you would sing because you are remembering the rock of your salvation, that you would attend community group, or that you would serve your community because you are remembering that you have been served first by the rock of your salvation, that you would attach every aspect of your faith, every working out of your salvation to the person of Jesus and that he would empower it. And so I pray that we would take the next couple minutes just to ask the Holy Spirit to bring these things to mind where we can, where we're relying on our own self-righteousness, where we're even shaping our hearts to believe in our own self-righteousness, that we would rely on the righteousness of Jesus and that would be our means by which we act. Um, here's a verse that, to kind of help frame that, that thought. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse, uh, <clears throat> verse 10 and 11, or verse, verses 8 through 10, sorry. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. Verse 9 says, for we... Or verse 10 says, For we are with his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand 
that we should walk in them. The reason why I read that before we, we enter this time of prayer and reflection is because I think the author is very clear there that our salvation or the idea that we have been saved by God precedes the fact that God has created good works for us to walk in. And that it is the fact that we are connected to God now which now motivates the good works that we're going to walk in. So let's pray. Let's contemplate.